You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And we are winding down Greedy Guts Month with my two birthday picks. Greedy, greedy birthday picks. Happy birthday, Kim. It's one of, I've added this episode, it's one of 17 times I say happy birthday to you. (laughs) Success. Even though my birthday was, you know, it was a week ago. It's fine. Yeah, it feels like so long ago. We're just on summer quarantine time where you just, you count the times the sun hits the horizon and multiply it by who gives a shit. (laughs) But yeah, every July, John and I like to pick two different off the wall horror movies for our. Greedy guts episode. July has been July 2020. Despite the you know the weird climate outside, has been no different. We have been doing a ton of fun, weird, goofy, wild, guilty pleasure picks on the website and on the podcast with John's birthday in the last episode. Oh boy, did we! And now we are talking about wolves in sheep's clothes. My picks are Cry Wolf from 2005. Uh, okay, Cry underscore Wolf. Thank you. And The Hole from 2001. Which is probably not the hole you're immediately thinking about. Don't watch that hole. It's the incorrect hole. Yes. Get out of that hole. (laughs) (laughs) But before I take over and gush about these two movies, which hopefully you've had a chance to find, watch. I know that they're a little bit difficult. This time around, uh, we actually had to buy a used copy on Amazon. It was kind of complicated. But before we get into it, John, what is keeping you creepy this week? You know, theaters are shut down, obviously. Uh, Well, actually, that's not true. Theaters are starting to open back up. It's very scary. Do not go to the theater. If you're listening to this, please take my advice. VOD, drive-ins, that is the only safe place to get your new horror content. Last week, uh, The Rental came out. It's written and directed by Dave Franco. Uh, There's a review for it on the website right now if you want to check it out. I really liked it. I thought it was good. Didn't you write the review? I did write the review. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, that's why I wrote the review, because I liked it. I thought it was good. It's it's a small movie. It's a single location. Yeah, very slow burn. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I hesitate like, to use that. Slow burn. and um, Kind of got that, like, third act twist. Yeah. Is it maybe just slow? <laughs> is, is that what it is? Uh, but I like I loved the setup. I loved the characters. And the, there's a lot of, like, interpersonal drama, which you normally don't get a lot of at play with. I would compare it maybe to, like, the invitation in that way oh, that sure. you're watching the movie for almost an hour and you're like, what is this about? but I'm into these characters and their problems. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's also very nihilistic too. I would <laughs> compare it to like the strangers in that sense. So sure. there's, there's a lot of those fun, eerie, like something's gonna go awry vibes. You are mostly just following two couples as they hang out over the weekend at an Airbnb. Uh, you know, oh, they got secrets and they, oh, they don't want those it's secrets. It's about to, to turn out, Airbnb. Right? Oh, shit. I just thought of that right now. And the third act is really good. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, um. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the trailer, don't. Uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, I wouldn't recommend it. If you like don't. single location movies with just like a limited cast and, you know, maybe a killer is there. Uh, or maybe one of them is the killer. <laughs> then maybe we don't you're know. a Blumhouse. <laughs> then maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
carry on your story. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, I think the trailer gives a false impression of what the movie's going to be. But yeah, it's like a it's like a little indie horror movie that you would have seen in like 2006, 2007. It's a good debut from from Dave Franco. Uh, I don't really expect to see more horror from him, but I really liked it. I thought it was good. Sweet. I check it. I recommend checking it out. I uh, would also like to make a recommendation. Last night we watched Host, the new Zoom horror that just landed on Shutter. You can watch it right now on Shutter. Please do. Fully recommend you do the laptop route. I know we don't normally say that. We say like find the biggest TV you can, uh, laptop, dark room, by yourself if you can. I mean you're quarantining. You probably are by yourself. Zip your hoodie right up to your nose. <laughs> yeah, it was bloody terrifying. Completely blew me by surprise. For me, computer screen horror, any of those like unfriended uh, movies are totally my jam. Oh, so. Okay, I was gonna say coming from somebody who fucking loves unfriended dark web. Yeah, as soon as John was like, "Hey, we have a séance movie to watch," he's like, "And it was filmed entirely on Zoom." I we stopped everything so we could watch <laughs> it. We literally had the screener in our inbox for like thirty six seconds before I've, we watched it. <laughs> I've been skeptical of of movies made during quarantine, like over Zoom. Like, I love the idea that, like, oh, there's a bunch of restrictions and, like, let's see what kind of story you can come up with. But I've, I've been hesitant to think that they're going to be the best movies I've ever seen. But, like, this is such a good found footage horror movie. Yeah, it it's maybe one of the most successful. And, and I'm really fresh on this movie, so I normally don't say stuff like this. It's maybe one of the most successful movies in justifying the use of cameras and continued cameras. Absolutely. Quarantine is the perfect scenario for these people to get together over their computers and do something this spooky. Yeah, but even just how they use Zoom as the storytelling, like, they, it's, I'm trying not to, to, to oversell this movie, but I really, 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 really loved it. Um, like, they're able to actually have some direction and focus in terms of like where the camera is and what the camera does and just using zoom in in more than just a a clever like oh you guys are at home right now and you've used zoom here's a fucking movie on zoom Hmm. it's such a smart movie and uh one of my new favorite found footage movies ever. It's wonderful. And it's so scary. There's tons of really great setups in terms of scares. So if you think you're just going to be watching a bunch of girls being scared on Zoom for an hour or so. I mean, you are. But <laughs> they're, they do a great job with their special effects. There's tons of fun, actual visual scares. So, yeah, it was frightening. I covered my eyes more than once and I'm not ashamed to say it. And on top of that, it's we had to all- rewind. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't even notice this until it was over. Only an hour long. Super short, because it is essentially the length of a free Zoom call. I love it. Perfect. Yeah, so check out Host on Shudder. It is totally worth your time if you're looking for a spooky quarantine film. And it's so timely, too. The social distancing in the movie made me feel real great. You know, just about, like, my present situation. And like Kim mentioned at the top of the show, Greedy Guts isn't podcast exclusive. It also bleeds into nofspodcast.com with all the editorial team, the, the incredible writers that we have on the site. If I could recommend two new articles that we just recently published that you absolutely have to check out. There's a list of the scariest Gerberator scenes, like the garbage disposals in your kitchen that fucking people in horror movies love putting their fingers into. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that's written by Nina. You gotta check it out. And also, uh, like, <laughs> both of these are great examples of what the Greedy Guts Month is all about at Nightmare on Film Street. Uh, Riley, one of our newer writers, actually sat down and made her mom watch 
Human Centipede. Yes! Yeah, so her column is called Will Mom Like This? And the idea is, uh, you know, it's like a parental discretionary guide on where to maybe leave the room to go get a new bowl of popcorn when something creepy or gross comes up that you don't (laughs) want to watch with your mom. Um, But she went all out this month and... She spoiled us all. Making her mom watch Human Centipede. What I love the most is that she didn't even know what Human Centipede was. She thought it was a bug movie. Oh, we're very... I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) I I told her, I was like, look, tell your mom this was our idea because this is cruel. We should not have let her do this. But oh... I'm so thankful that she did. (laughs) And we are currently celebrating surpassing 200 patrons on Patreon. So a shout out to all of our new patrons and our existing patrons for supporting Nightmare on Film Street. This show is brought to you by them. We've recorded and released a special Q&A episode where we gathered a bunch of questions from our patrons and we've answered them. Things like how I got into screenwriting, yeah. um, what we think the most impactful horror franchises of all time. There's some like heavy hitters in there. Yeah, like uh, like if you want to know where we think horror is going to be in the next five years, because <laughs> we got all the answers. All of them. <laughs> you, you can check that episode out over at uh, patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. And in one... One last way that we are celebrating Greedy Guts Month, we're going to be playing Cry Wolf with our patrons. That's right, the very game from Cry Wolf. We're figuring it out. We're doing it remotely, quarantine style, online. I mean, if those Brits can make a horror movie over over Zoom, I think we could figure out how to play Cry we Wolf, We can right? figure it out. And uh, yeah, so some of us are going to be the wolves and some of us are going to be the, the helpless villagers slash detectives trying to figure out who the murderer is before... We're murdered also. I'm just going to be the lone blacksmith in the back just trying to stay alive. I'm going to be a secret witch who makes candles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's information on that is going to be available at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. We'll put up a post there with the times and the actual date. We'll be doing it at some point this weekend. It's going to be super fun. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be limited on how many people we can play with. So make sure you RSVP over on that post. I'm super excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, uh, I We used to play this game called Wink Murder when I was a kid. I'm sure you talked about it a bunch in the episode already. A little bit. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited to play. <laughs> it might become a recurring thing if we actually get this to work out and it's amazing. That sounds like fun, though. I'm very excited. I love games, so if we can play them remotely, that would be sweet. But enough Cry Wolf the game. Let's talk about Cry underscore Wolf the film. <laughs> We're sneaking out. Do you want to come? Where are we going? Westlake tradition. To do what? To play the game. So how do we play? It's a lying game. The object? Avoid suspicion. Manipulate your friends. Eliminate your enemies. This year, we've got to raise the stakes. Let's convince them. Murderers on campus. They're the sheep. And we're the wolves. We're gonna create a killer. He needs a name. The wolf. The neon ski mask. Give him a camel jacket, too. What else does every good mass murderer have? How about a gun? But a knife would be scarier. First death is always a townie. Which is just a warning shot. So obvious it's perfect. Think anyone will believe her? I read the email. It's happening. The first girl, she was shot in the face. He sent it to everyone he knows. I didn't want to get gutted. 
So Cry Wolf from 2005, currently sitting at a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 24% on Rotten Tomatoes, 39% on Metacritic, 2.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which you probably took before I rated it 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd, because surely I brought it up at least a 0.1 out of 5. And moving on, now we talk about a different movie. <laughs> we got ratings already, let's get going. Can I just say that my life is now complete? Now that you own this movie again? Now that I've revisited this film as an adult? I was. Okay, well, I mean, I was in high, no, I, either in high, yeah, probably in high school when we first saw, when I first saw this. Yeah, 2000, 2005. Yeah, so, um, revisiting it as an adult... I'm amazed that this movie takes place in high school. I feel like this happens every time we watch a teen slasher. We're like, wait, they're teenagers? (laughs) (laughs) Every single time. I don't buy it. Yeah, I'm really happy we watched it. I'm just, I'm living on my cloud. It was a journey to get this movie, too. We almost didn't cover it in the podcast. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking. I feel really bad because this movie is kind of hard to get a hold of. I do not believe it was ever released on Blu-ray or re-released. Yet. Yet. Oh, it's coming. It should be coming. Another 10 years, we're all going to be nostalgic for the early Everyone's 2000s. Everyone's going to remember Cry, Wol- Cry underscore Wolf. Uh, yeah, so we had to order a used copy off Amazon. Uh, it turned out to be full screen. Uh, which... I mean, the copy we probably owned previously was full screen too. I don't know if there was another version because it doesn't say on it anything about widescreen or full screen. Oh, it's just DVD. DVD. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and there was no delivery guarantee, and I really wanted to do this movie for my birthday episode. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, Greedy Guts Month. This is my Greedy Guts pick. A favorite slasher from high school when it came out and had revisited it since, so was super pumped to check it out and see if it was still as amazing as I remember. And... I don't know if you can hear the smile on my face right now, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> you were whooping, hollering, cheering out loud, opening credits of the movie. I was just so excited. Yeah. It's so fall. It's so orange. John, don't you love orange? I mean, it's set, set around Halloween. Don't you love orange? This movie's so orange. Yeah, orange is cool. I didn't even know it was set around Halloween. I saw like a pumpkin thing and I was like, what? It's orange for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I mean, uh, I mean, it's fun, you know, <laughs> but it's not like it, it's integral to the plot. But it could have been the spring formal. Okay, so any of the colors that David Fincher puts in his films are integral to the plot, John? I haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I'm not sure. Or he just likes yellow. It's possible. I'm pretty sure he just likes yellow. In his mind, the 70s, it's just, his color palette is whatever couch his family had during that decade. That's a fair observation. (laughs) I might believe it. (laughs) Like all high school teen terror slasher things, uh, this movie introduces a new character who is new to the school. Uh, for an exchange, he's not really for an exchange. He's just been bumping around from school to school. Yeah, they kicked him out of his country. This kid was so. His dad's crazy. not British, though, is he? His dad was. Sl- his dad's British accent did not show up until the final scene of the movie, and, his- and it was so light. His dad's the dick manager from Office Space, the stapler one. Yes, yes, that's exact. Yeah, he's 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 great in lots of stuff, uh, but yeah, he's usually just kind of like side character. I liked him. Yeah, in this? Yeah. What does he do in this movie? I don't know. He has, he, uh, his biggest scene is where he gets a phone call from his son during uh, a business meeting. it's just meeting. my son. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's fine. And it's then just he my silences son. it. I loved it. <laughs> Oscar worthy. 
<laughs> so he's new to the school. He doesn't know anybody. He's Owen. trying to figure his character. Owen. Owen doesn't know anybody. Yeah, and he gets in with a the wrong crowd because they're all it, jerks. Are well, okay, fine. They're, Every single one of them jerks. They are all jerks. But but it's okay because they're rich, so we expect it, right? Everybody at the school is rich. It's like this elite boarding school, and he's only there because he mops the floor. Yeah, what's which is weird because his dad is very clearly he's also, also rich. rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hates rich kids, so I, I I get the idea that he wants to sort of like pay his own way. He's a child, <laughs> like he's seventeen at best. Well, and we find out at the end of the movie because his dad is able to get him off murder charges. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's just like those kids. His dad has just dropped him off at boarding school after boarding school because he doesn't want to love him. Do you think the the janitor duty stuff is part of his probation? I guess so. But he writes a letter to his dad like, hey, dad, just want to let you know everything's going great. I met a bunch of friends. I got a job as a physics TA. Like, they show him mopping floors and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and he's like, I'm taking all kinds of sciences. He's like, journalism. Right? <laughs> Why does he need a job? Well, okay, money. Everybody wants money. I get that, but... I don't know why this is such a sticking point for me. But I, either way, he's a rich kid, hates the rich kids. Yeah. First night in town in castle. First, first night after <laughs> montage. It could be it could be the first day after school. It could be a month and a half in. Yeah, it's true. First big encounter with these rich kids. They invite him out to sneak out to go to the old chapel on the property where they play this fun game. Basically, if you've ever played one Night Ultimate Werewolf or like Wink Murderer. Yeah, Wink Murder. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Any of those varieties of games where it's like somebody is it, but it's secret and you have to accuse them of the right person of being it. I'm not explaining it very well. It's actually a really dope game. Yeah, so one person is the wolf and, you know, the the whole... Okay, you know what? Better idea. One person is the witch, and the rest of the townspeople have to figure out who it is, right? And the, the idea is to kick out the wolf. You know what's fucked up about this whole game, though, is that none of them stick around. Yeah! Because when you're accused and you're proven to be innocent, they just leave. And then they get in a big fight, and everybody hates each other. People take this game so personally. They get very offended. Also, every variety of this game that I have played is there's, like, night and day rounds, and during the night round, the wolf or the witch or whoever gets to murder one of the innocent people. So... Every every night versus day scenario, the amount of people is getting lessened by both the wolf and the villagers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a really fun game. We're going to try to figure out a way that we can play it with you guys. That'd be fun. Um, in celebration of kind of this fun random month of episodes, we're going to try to find an online version of Cry Wolf we can play because it's actually a super dope game and it's a fucking awesome premise for a horror film. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this podcast very early July. Surely... By the time it's released today, um, when you're hearing this, we will have announced it at the top of the show. Yeah, it's probably already in the top <laughs> if, of the episode. If you skip the intro, and that's fine, I got plenty of podcasts that I do that to also, uh, roll back. The details are there. <laughs> I hope it's not something depressing like, we really tried. Oh, it, God. <laughs> and we couldn't do anything about it. We're not game developers. So, sorry. I love, and this is maybe one of those, like really shitty sticking points that is like an unpopular horror opinion but i love when a horror film centers around like a, a game or like a a cursed yeah a game just a game i'm with you but can you give me some other examples basically everything blumhouse has put out that's original <laughs> in the last 10 years <laughs> are you okay 
but not but actually by this director (laughs) 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 he put out the blumhouse truth or dare and fantasy island right yeah which is i guess kind of a game there's also ouija and ouija origin of yeah yeah um ouija is a game i guess board game yeah yeah, it's by definition a board I'm sure there's more. <laughs> I don't really know what else there is, but I get like, uh We're on the spot here. We didn't do any. Let me check my notes. I'm running out of game. That's it. We covered them all. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Surely there's a ton more. I Why did I fall? Like, I fell off the planet at like two. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. Casually obsessed. Yes. You gotta rely on that. Exactly. It's it's what it's what washes away all of our shortcomings as podcasters. <laughs> I it's gonna it's gonna bug me though. I swear to God, there's a ton of horror films based on games. No, I I, t- I totally hear it. I mean, like you pff, wrote a screenplay that has one, so maybe that's part of what that's coming with. But <laughs> yes, I agree. Like there's like an urban legend. You know, fuck it, Candyman's kind of a game, right? Yeah. 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 You dare some kids to do that? It's kind of a game. And that's exactly, too, when you said urban legend. This movie is kind of a version of urban legend, but they're creating their own. I have not seen another movie that takes the idea of a chain letter, like email chain. Oh, pass this on to some people. And and not, not that it does that exactly, but the idea of getting an urban legend through email. Nobody's done it better than this movie, I think. I agree with you. It it has all of that the best fun slasher vibes of a post scream world. Like it's it's definitely yeah. among that meta horror-y aspect, but it it takes a unique spin. So it's something that's that's still of the um the pre and post scream horror <laughs> millennia, but does something unique, which is which so very few horror films were able to kind of exist after Scream without oh, being yeah. compared to Scream. That's why I kind of said it had a very urban legendy vibe. But oh, you mean like urban legend the movie? Yeah, oh, it's, it's so. Yeah. If we hadn't have already covered urban legends, we definitely could have done the the two together. But the fact that they create the killer is so fucking cool. Yeah, I love it. So a, a girl gets killed on campus, and they're journalism students. I think she just gets murdered her. in town, like in the woods in town or something. It's 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 all the talk around campus though, because why wouldn't it be right? Um, and they decide that their game that they're playing is getting a little stale, and they want to expand it out to the entire school. So we're gonna play wolf with everybody. Yeah, and by doing that, what they're going to do is is create a killer that that's going to get the entire school to start accusing uh, each other, right? And so in doing that, they have to create a anonymous email that was sent to them that they forwarded to everybody, and in that, they're essentially identifying tropes and like the way people die like that oh of course he the this kid got killed of a broken heart and the beauty girl got killed while looking in the mirror it's it's like taking all of your favorite like distilling your favorite urban legends or even just your favorite slasher tropes down so yeah it's it's self-referential they've right? written a horror movie yeah but they're, they're talking oh you mean the characters yeah yeah <laughs> i'm talking about the horror movie itself yeah Straight down to what the killer wore, the neon ski mask with the hunting jacket and the, the knife. And they build him. They've created him. And there's some fun shots where we see the killer, like, 
putting the mask on and being made as they type out the email. We should totally put together an article on the website that is just like pitch meetings in horror movies. Because <laughs> like, that's what this is. Like, like Scream is like your first one, but then you've got you've got this and any other sort of meta horror movie kind of has that also. Are you, is this going to fizzle out like my, there's so many movies yep. based on games. It's gone already. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> this and all of the others. <laughs> But the email that they actually write, which, because we're in a horror film, inevitably becomes the blueprint for this killer that actually shows up on campus. And then it becomes this game of cry wolf as to whether they have angered the person that actually killed this girl and he's mad and out for revenge. Because th that is the other thing too, right? A girl was killed. Oh, yeah. And we so have not solved that murder. There is actually a murder. And they're saying this one person who killed this girl is a serial killer. And part of his part of his MO is that he shows up and he kills a townie. He's always first blood. It's That's the warning shot. And then after that, he goes after archetypes. That just happened to also be them in their friend group, right? But because they all hate each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they hate each other so much. That is that is maybe my favorite thing about high school horror movies is that no one, none of these people are friends at all. Which is true about high school. Which is kind of true about regard. high school. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you do find some good friends for life. Sure. Uh, John and I met there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> friends for life. And... <laughs> business partners <laughs> we even got the cool rings to prove it <laughs> yeah Woo! but mostly the people that you're with in high school are your friends by circumstance your friends with the people that you sit next to in class and the ones you have the most classes together with yeah and for these kids it's all these rich kids that they associate with because they're all locked up in this school castle when they're building this email what i really like about it they're just describing general people they're not describing themselves at least they don't think they are but we are getting cutscenes where we sh we're showing the murders that are ha about to happen or have happened and the actors in it are the kids there in the pitch meeting for this for this email right mm -hmm. which is genius and we'll come back to it later but it's it's great because because it, it, at first it just gives it a fun vibe. Like rather than just seeing a montage of murders, there are a montage of murders that are our main characters. And that, that's fun. I mean, like if you're a horror fan, you know where the movie's going. So exactly. That's, that's also what's interesting about it. Like, ooh, can't wait to see that guy eat shit. It's going to be great. And it, it spreads like wildfire. And like the, I, you know, the faculty doesn't seem to be too worried about that email. No. And I think that comes down to the fact, though, that it is a chain letter. So there is no way to prove that it originated from those kids, even though. Uh, John Bon Jovi. John knows. Bon Jovi. <laughs> their How teacher. did you get into this movie? You have to say, John and I are not John Bon Jovi fans, but he's not bad. No, he's fine. He's not bad. And he's... it's kind of weird, though, because he, does he act in much else? Like, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I've seen him in some other stuff, but probably like but a he's Christmas like, you know what? movie. I will be in that horror film where I play that pedophile. Right? <laughs> right? Like, this is an interesting role. That's that's the other <laughs> thing. Like, when you make this movie university or college, like, when you're sleeping with one of your students, it's, it's inappropriate it's not... and unethical, but it's not illegal but it's not rape yeah like <laughs> like that's capital r rape they like, also <laughs> they also really put the capital r on it in this movie too actually that's a good moment where she's uh he owen sees dodger with the teacher with john bon jovi and he lets that out to everybody like in the in the third act of the movie 
and she basically says, like, he forced himself on me and there's nothing that I could do about it. Oh, that's like a really dark moment. It's, too. Re- it's really because dark. Everybody feels like a dick because it's, you called her out on it. And then she's just like, yeah, I was trying to get him to stop. And he basically said no one would like me. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tom's just like, man, I don't believe it. The only other girl in the room, deadpan, oh. just like, I believe it. It's like, whoa, fuck. Because <laughs> it's when she says that, it's it's a weird line. It lets like the air a, out of the fucking room. For like a room. throwaway slasher, because then you're like, has he hit on every single girl? Like, is this like an open secret among the girls that he's just like a dick? You know what I mean? And that's the role John Bon Jovi accepted. Yeah, I was just like, this is dark. He's like, man, if I don't do this, Kevin Bacon's gonna. And I mean, like, oh, everybody's gonna think he's great for it. Yeah, I guess I could be in this. See, it couldn't have been Kevin Bacon, though, because we all would have suspected him as the murderer too early. Oh, like, how do you cast Kevin Bacon and then not also put a knife in his hand? <laughs> like, Kevin Bacon did it. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got a murderer face. What do you... Oh, come on. He More does, off- John. No! No! Country singer Kevin Bacon? <laughs> with his brother, the Hollow Bacon Man Brothers? Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Stir of Echoes Kevin Bacon. I repeat. <laughs> so first up, Randall, who's supposed to go away for the weekend to take his college girlfriend to formal or something, goes missing. He borrows the kid from Supernatural's car. <laughs> I believe his name is Tom, yes. Thank you. Uh, borrows his car, and then he's kind of away from campus for the weekend. It also happens to be Halloween weekend. There's a dance. But then Tom and Owen's room gets trashed and Randall's facial piercing is like bloody and sitting on his laptop. And then there's just a bunch of weird things happening. And we assume, oh my God, the killer's real. The killer got Randall. Well, he also starts instant messaging Owen. Oh yeah, and he's threatening them via instant messenger. And they're just chasing random people. Like Owen and Dodger get chased in the basement by the killer. Owen gets chased while he's mopping the floor. There's just a killer out and about and somebody's missing. You gotta love that moment though where they're they're about to make out in the library. I loved it. And the librarian stops them. Like she startles them and tells them, you should try German philosophy. No one will find you there. I have to say too, that sequence is done really well. I really like that sequence. Uh, they're basically timing the, the murderer sneaking up on them via the lights being motion detecting. Yeah. And so that whole scene is done with everybody trying to figure out where they are versus the killer with the lights going on and off. And it's such a great sequence. Love it. Yeah, your campus killer movie ain't shit if you don't have a good like library annex scene. That's very true. Although there's so many instances of kids being in areas that are locked down. And it's just like, how is this allowed? How is this go unnoticed? There's only one faculty member is the real reason. It's just John Bon Jovi running that whole school. Yeah, John Bon Jovi, a librarian, and the dean who's Who's too busy taking your kid (laughs) trick-or-treating. Yeah, right? It's a busy time of year. The movie gets pretty complicated in the middle. Like it, uh, yeah. It gets a little convoluted, and I will, I will be the first to admit, it gets a little busy, gets a little confusing. Still a five star movie, I uh, guess. Mm. It is still a five star movie <laughs> okay. because when when you have your twisty moment, Owen gets everybody back to the church where they first played Cry Wolf, and everybody kind of reveals they all had a hand in this wolf scenario the they've all been playing wolf some of them have been chasing each other somebody left randall's fake piercing yeah it's it's also worth mentioning that during that chase one of the chase sequences the cops show up and almost shoot mercedes because she's playing wolf so we learn we learn that they're actually super dicks to each other they're all trying to get back at each other pretending this killer is real 
And so you don't know if anybody's even actually being murdered. Like they have become wolves and wolves and wolves in this layer of their own story. <laughs> yeah, they sow a lot of doubt. It's good. I like it. Um, but it's a little boring. <laughs> like the like the boring is not the right word. It's Go ahead. I'll give you time. <laughs> I'm trying to What is it that I don't like about the middle of this movie? It's just it feels like a lot of back and forth. There is a like a little you know, bit of a yeah like oh my god Randall's dead and oh my god he's not dead and yeah, and then I'm being chased nobody's and... murdered and then everybody's murdered and then there is a murderer there isn't a murderer I get that there's there is a little bit of a back and forth there yeah it's you, you know the problem it's it's because no one dies that's really like and like we assume Randall's dead because he didn't show up at his girlfriend's place he didn't actually take the car. This fucking blood is all over the goddamn place. But there's that would really maybe break some stuff up. Like we have suspicion, but we don't have physical proof. So there's only so much they can really do. I gotta say, it's in service of a great ending. Um, I also think too, but, you you so. have to juggle with them being at a private school. Nobody can get expelled. Except for the one kid who's been expelled from every private school he's ever gone into. Well, he, but he's very much almost expelled, but, like, he's the only one really on the line. So he's the only one taking the risks trying to, like, solve shit. Yeah. And, but, but you do make a really good point about nobody being able to die. Because even once they do kind of start dying in the final 20 minutes of the film, it's so fast and kind of, like, set up that... Even if you don't know the twist, your brain's starting to kind of connect the dots. You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. Particularly that stairwell murder. Like, I was just like, uh, did he actually get murdered there? Well, yeah, they're they're become... We come upon a lot of scenes where Owen is watching the killer hunt people down, and he's, like, the only witness to it. And it's, you know, you think that the killer is trying to get Owen, and these people just happen to be in the way. There's nobody else in this school but his friends. And this is this is where I really want to start complimenting the movie. Like, I love... Oh, the, the ending thir- is amazing. The third act of this movie rocks! So good! Yeah, no, it's it's so dope. And it reuses all of those cutscenes that we saw at the beginning when they were building the chain letter for... Because most of these murders are happening off, off screen. Like, I think one of, the, one of the first ones in the end of the movie is... Is it Mercedes? Yeah, in the bathroom. In the bathroom, yeah. So it's happening while she's on the phone with everybody. And they're across campus in the chapel, so there's no way they can get there in time. Yeah, but and, but rather than seeing how the murder plays out here, we're seeing the, the sort of original, you know, like, like, yeah, like dra- like almost like a dramatization that had come earlier in the movie. You know, it's heavily stylized, it's exposed, we got fun weird angles, it's cutting a lot. Which makes sense, giving the twist, because the murders aren't actually happening. The murders Whoa, never you happen. Fucking give it away just Whoa! like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that happens all over the place. Like, uh, which it, you think is a stylization choice. Yeah, because it's it's just sort of it's foreshadowing initially, and now it's like, oh my god, it's playing out just like they thought, which is a great choice. And also, you know, before you're really sure what's going on, is maybe sort of helping tip you to believe that it's it is one of the people in the group. Because this was something that they had all talked about and planned together. And only the people who knew about this and planned it would be the people that carried it out the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Which I really like. But you're right. At some point, 
you know where it's going. Yeah, and... And that's fine. I mean, too, like, there's also this kind of fun red herring that the movie only kind of alludes to in the periphery. There's, a like, a groundskeeper who's always, like, on the property seeing yes. things happen. And he's occasionally, like, looking over to the group and seeing what's going on. He's also got, he's got like, a blood orange hat, which is similar Ooh, to the... Color the of choice! Mask. Yeah. <laughs> It's all about branding. Like whether you're whether you're a business or a campus killer, you gotta stick to your brand. Yeah, and I don't know if I mentioned it. I know I said that this movie's a little montage happy. It's also like a little gajon blur happy. <laughs> <laughs> there there is like a a daytime TV kind of a a fuzz on the lighting, which it's low budget. What do you? I got? think might yeah. be just a choice too to contrast the dream sequences because they're all like really like high contrast and like orange and black. And then whenever there's like a daylight sequence with all these teens, they're all lit like a soap opera. <laughs> Yay, I mean, hey, they're, they're probably going to fix that maybe when it comes to Blu-ray. Looking forward to that whenever that happens. That probably can't be fixed. <laughs> 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 That's there forever. That's a timestamp more than anything. In the third act of the movie, Owen is escaping the killer. The killer is coming after him. He's murdering all of his friends. And he gets on the phone with Dodger, who's dying, I think, at the time, right? No, see, this is where you fell asleep. Don't tell him that. 20 minutes ago, where (laughs) you fell asleep when we watched a movie in the afternoon. Hey, it's... (laughs) And I said, are you falling asleep? And you said, no. And then the next time I looked over, you were asleep. Yeah, that... That says nothing (laughs) about how I feel about a movie. Well, we watched this scene twice, so it's really funny that you don't remember what happened. (laughs) Um, so yeah, Dodger calls the teacher's office, but Owen is there because he's right there to this point because it's the only car left in the lot. He thinks he's going to go find the teacher. Teacher's not there. Dodger calls and she's like, I'm coming to you. I found Mercedes. And so he looks out the window, sees Dodger walking towards him and the killer's behind her. And then the killer (sighs) murders her right under the window. And it's actually a really great sequence when he's walking up to her. Yeah, looks good. Because there's that like fun nighttime street lighting. Dig it. So while Owen is running back downstairs to go try to save Mercedes, but he can't because the door is all chained up and locked. John Bon Jovi comes through the door. And he's holding the mask and the knife. And uh, Owen just happened to find a gun in his drawer in which there's a scuffle and he shoots John Bon Jovi. Dodger told him where to get that, that gun, though. Well, he was. She was telling him that there were keys in the desk. Oh, right. My mistake. Yes, John Bon Jovi's shot. And then the cops show up. We also find out, though, before John Bojovi dies, that he knew the girl that died because he was just like... Oh, you mean Becky? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, 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 Becky revealed himself that he was the one that was sleeping with that girl that died. We didn't even talk about the cold open where Becky gets killed. It's real good. Like, she's running away from a killer, and then the killer pulls out a phone, goes through the contact list dials Becky, hears her phone, finds her, fucking shoots her. It's also a great way to set up a movie that's I am based, which is weird. I don't say I am ever. That's because no one says that. Text message based? <laughs> chat based? It's instant messaging. Yeah, we never, yeah. like I, most, What? Most Have the, I ever instant messaged you? All the time, but we <laughs> never, I, we never say I am. <laughs> But it's I, I think it's really good, too, because most of the movie, you're trying to figure out who the killer is. It's somebody that's on campus. It's likely somebody they all know. And that was very true about Becky. It does. Whoever killed Becky knows her is in her goddamn phone. True that. I, I don't know. Maybe not a good move if you're a killer to have a victim's phone number in your phone. Oh, yeah. And then dialing it right before. Right before. <laughs> pinging off that tower. <laughs> 
This is a 2020 concern, John. Yeah, we still haven't even figured out the, the cell phone tower situation. But you're right. 2005, this was the perfect crime. Wait, wouldn't they all have records of these IMs, like from a killer? Couldn't they just figure out who was sending them? No one goes to the cops. Yeah, that's true. No one I ever. I think it's you to start by going to the police. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true about any teen horror movie, you know? Like, Nothing <laughs> is evidence if there are no police involved. <laughs> There's so much evidence in this movie that, like, even at the end, when credits roll and we're just like, wow, can't believe they got away what with a that. What a M. Night Shyamalan. Excuse me? <laughs> like, it's not the usual suspects. It's not like some criminal organization where you could just disappear into it. Like, you're a fucking townie. <laughs> I can't believe you called her a townie, John. She says she's a townie. How dare you hold she, that against her? She hangs that shame around her own She's neck. a murderer first and a townie second. <laughs> I'm a scholarship uh, winner first. <laughs> murderer second. And then townie. Of course. That yeah, so reveal- Dodger, Dodger's the murderer. Yeah, Dodger's the murderer. But, but before that, like the reveal that her dad is the janitor who's been like spooking, like Super sneaking subtle. around. It's so good. It is good. It's great. Yeah. Well, in 1972, he would have been the murderer. In like any of these sorority row. Oh, it's always the groundskeeper. It's some creepy guy in the basement sharpening his claw glove. Or somebody who's been living in the attic the whole time that we didn't know about, who's been watching kids from the vents. And we never reveal who he is except for that one weird eye in the light. And it's pretty wonderful because it's Christmas time and we're all really into it. His mom used to be the dean, but she got (laughs) killed around Halloween because some jerk ass rich kids like these ones were playing pranks. I was talking about Black Christmas. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm half talking about House on Sorority Row, actually. <laughs> like, what movie are you in? <laughs> um, but yeah, Dodger's motive is actually pretty fucking fantastic. Do you know? Why are you making that face? Do you not remember her motive? Oh, I remember her motive. Is it that fantastic? I think it's fucking fantastic. All right. She's set up John Bon Jovi for the murder of Becky at the yeah, very beginning. It's a good move. And then set up this huge plot to like get back at him. He's Did- now dead. She got everything she wanted and she never had to touch a gun, except for at the beginning when she murdered Becky. Yeah, except that time that she used a gun with her she, own hands. Yeah, okay. So and she, then also that time where she put that gun in his desk. She did. So, but, okay. So she did. <laughs> okay. Okay, so she did use a murder at the beginning, but the whole rest of the movie was her Charles Mansoning her friends. A thousand percent. Right? 2005's Charles Manson right here. Yeah. She read these kids like a book too, right? She did. Yeah. And I just loved how much she hated her friends. They all hated each other. Yeah. See, that's that's the whole thing. Like, we think that this, this uh, Owen, our main character, is the person who hates the rich kids. Like, oh, these rich kids, they don't know what they got. They got it so easy. They're all just jerks. And you're like, yeah, sure, I'm a rich kid too, but I'm better than them. You're like, so, I mop floors. Yeah, but she, a townie, not a rich kid, has had to work for everything, is embarrassed the whole time, and like no one likes each other. So like not even getting into those circles is good enough. And then, uh, like I don't necessarily know the extent of her relationship with John Bon Jovi, like why she had that relationship, who like how it really played out. Mm-hmm. But at the end, I think it's she just wants to kill these people because they deserve it. I think. I mean, what John Bon Jovi did was awful. He was definitely um, raping teenage girls. Yeah, awful times too, at the very least. Uh, but he didn't murder anyone, and it seems like he very much loved... No, he just ruined their lives forever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no so I'm did. not trying to justify it, but, <laughs> but Dodger did murder him and Becky. Oh, a thousand percent. Like, she... she, It's, it's very much a Tex Watson murder at the very beginning and a Charles Manson murder at the end. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. And then she went all like Sadie at the very end when she got revealed. The fucking reveal though <laughs> is just like, yeah. Why did she go visit him? Yeah, I don't know because maybe that's what she was supposed to do. Mm. Like that's what she She's would so have sorry. done. So so sorry. I think that's also partly just like her weakness as a criminal. Like that's her revisiting the scene of the crime. She's right? like she's doing her secret gloat. Yeah. But why even ever le- let on that you are the person who orchestrated all of this? Like when he's telling her, like, you did this. You planted the gun here and you did. Oh, God, it all fits. It's for us, Kobayashi. <laughs> it's, a, it's the Hitchcock moment with the, <laughs> well, yeah. the psychiatrist at the end. Of course. But when she's like, who would ever believe you? One. We great all move. do. Great oh. move. I mean, but none of us. The police would. <laughs> the police would. No, they wouldn't. No, of course not. Like, that's not, like, there wouldn't be timestamps and IP addresses tied I mean, to no, all there of totally the instant would. messaging. There totally would. She's just a 17-year-old idiot. I, I guess they're, what we're supposed to come away with is, like, that the police will not believe this British delinquent is what it comes down to. I don't know. What evidence is there, though? I guess the I am's, but, like... I hate saying I am. Just say circumstantial evidence. <laughs> like there's, there's all this circumstantial evidence. Because, <laughs> yeah, like any, like, how does he prove the relationship between her and He'd and have John to bon prove that she did the Becky murder. Because if you can well, prove yeah. she did the Becky murder, then it's plausible that she did the second murder. But if you can't prove her knowing anything about Becky, then there's no concrete motive for the second murder. How do these kids not get charged with anything at all? I know. I guess they, it's because they're kids. They do not drop this cry wolf pretend thing. Like, they catch each other playing cry wolf, and then they do full-out fake murders. Like, there's blood in the stairwell on all that stairwell carpet. There's blood in that chapel to the confession booth. There's just blood everywhere. I don't understand. Like, they, they're, nothing good is going to happen from this. At the very least, he's going to kill one of you when he catches up with you. Because he's going to feel like, this person's killed all my friends, and I'm next. I better defend myself. I'm surprised there was only one casualty at the end of this movie. Right? He should have murdered everyone. Yeah. That would have been that so... That would have been a nice twist. Yeah, where if he kills one of them. If they were pranking him and then he just fucking killed them all. Oh, that's... Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, now... This movie would have to be longer. Now, now, <laughs> now we're getting into... Um, <laughs> what, the catacombs territory. We're just talking about other movies we like from the same era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or if he killed one of them and then a second one came out and that's where we ooh yeah. like doppelganger I don't know why we're trying to like make Cry this a Wolfies. different movie. We like this movie. No, I know, but th- we could have just Cry Wolf 2. Oh yeah. Hire us. He comes back. <laughs> He's the dean now. <laughs> <laughs> I murdered somebody at this school 20 years ago tonight. I mean, self-defense. T- <laughs> it was a Charles Manson scenario. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> you wouldn't get it. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so yeah, I, uh, fucking enjoyed this movie. It's good. It was a four out of four for me. I understand. Yeah. I. I'm ready to watch it again right now. And I own it. I'm Um, ready. Well, we also own a tablet and I'll watch something else on that. Orange, Uh. John. So orange. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I want a ski mask. Like, I'm like ready to, to Disney bound this movie. I can't deny how much I like the end of this movie. I love the I love the beginning of this movie and I think the ending like I think it sticks its landing so hard. Like real good. It's a movie. Who cares if she's oh, how's she going to get away with this murder? Like it really doesn't matter cuz it's make believe. <laughs> so that's fine. I definitely enjoyed it obvi- like like any movie like this. I enjoyed it a lot more the first time when I didn't know what was happening, but watching it again and seeing how they built it is great. 
Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie, and I don't love it as much as you do, but I still think it's good, and I'm going to give it a three out of four. It's not high enough. For you. (laughs) I've been on that side of the table a lot. Don't worry. Yeah, that's true. All right, fine. I'll accept. Oh, it's it's the difference between saying that it's great and it's excellent. (laughs) Just take, take the three out of four and move on. Yeah, it's fine. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Next up on our double feature from the early 2000s, another, ah, we'll talk about it, we'll talk about it in a minute. Another film that has to do with this film (laughs) in some fashion or another. (laughs) We're watching The Hole. That's a terrible title. Yeah, I'm not nuts about it either. We're going into (laughs) The Hole. It's a good movie though, trust us, trust us, stay with, stick around. The whole. <laughs> How would you like to go to the best private party of your life? Me, you, Mike, and Jeff. Absolutely extracurricular. All right, I'm in. Oh, yes! from 2001 currently sitting at a 6.2 out of 10 on imdb 50 percent on rotten tomatoes and a 2.8 out of 5 on letterboxd john are you proud of me for finally getting this movie on the podcast proud (laughs) whatever (laughs) yes i'm very proud john are you question mark i got this on the podcast (laughs) it's been a lot of fun watching you revisit these movies because we we haven't seen either of them for a long time and you were beaming the whole time i i honestly i don't know what it is about this movie that i love so much maybe it at this point now it's just like a nostalgic thing because 
Uh, it came out when I was like 12-ish. Yeah. And <laughs> I watched it when I was like 12-ish. And uh, I can't wait till I'm a teenage psychopath. <laughs> exactly. No, I, yeah. I, I really liked Thora Birch. I mean, I grew up with her in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Uh, now and then, which is like my favorite coming of age movie of all time. And the teacher from Matilda is in it. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. That's why she was so familiar. Well, she's also in 13 Ghosts. Yes. And Keira Knightley's in it. I think it's Keira Knightley's first film role, and I love Keira Knightley. And then there's that guy from Wrong Turn. Who, and Dexter. You know. Fuck, why didn't we look up his name? Smizes a bunch. <laughs> but he's so cool, right? I think it's like he's Dominic. American student, rock star dad. Too preppy. You keep saying he's a rock star dad. I thought he was just a rugby player. That's because the first scene we see him in, they're playing rugby at school. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure his dad is a rock star. Where'd you get that information? From the characters who said that his dad was a rock star. Are you positive that they said that? Yes. Okay. We just watched this movie I'm 30 just, minutes ago. I, I'm just asking. Well, problem two is our DVD copy is like one of those like really early DVDs and it didn't have any captions. Not normally a problem for me when watching movies. Not having captions? Yeah, I'm fine with not having captions. You say that, but we always watch shit with captions on. I politely put them on for you. Oh. <laughs> That's not true. I enjoy having captions on too because sometimes you never know when a character is going to make a choice. And just, I, go, I grumble all the time and I want I also like captions when we're watching something for the podcast because I find you get more information and you don't miss plot stuff. That's true. Because when you watch something with captions, you really don't miss what people are saying, which you don't realize you do a lot unless you have captions on. You're like, I have no idea what they were talking about in this scene before, but now I know. Not to make this whole podcast about subtitles, but I, I do find that when I don't need them and they're there, I end up staring at them anyway. So it's like I'm missing a bunch of the movie that I don't have to miss because it's in the language that I speak. And I, so just I'm, police yourself a little bit, John. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm weak. Uh, but yeah, so no captions, which was... At least this one was widescreen. Cry Wolf was not in widescreen. Yeah. Do you want to give people a bit of a, like a summary of the whole, what it is, what to expect before we start talking about it? Because it's not an incredibly well-known movie. I think it's pretty well-known. Okay, well, at least, I'm pretty sure at least refresh them about what their favorite it. movie was when they were 12. Well, we can't really do that because it's got an unreliable narrator, so we kind of have to go through it. As it's written. Like, oh, as walk, it's... walk them up the trailer. Give them, give them an audio version of the trailer. <laughs> You're, You're seeing flashes so right. of a gross hole. And it's <laughs> partying kids and they're having the time of their lives. Oh my God, is that a joint? And then <laughs> they had the best weekend planned. <laughs> I hit my microphone. Yep. Little did they know that once the hole was closed... It was closed for good. We're running out of water. What are we going to do? Where's Martin? That bastard locked us out. The hole coming soon to a theater near you. But not actually a theater because I think it went direct to DVD. 2001. Can we do this for every movie (laughs) from now on? (laughs) Instead of actually having the trailers, which I'm just realizing would have been uh, four minutes before this. Um, can we just have you do? I the hope trailers? I did a really good job. You probably did great. I can't wait to see what the actual trailer is. <laughs> yeah, so four students decide that rather than going on, like they do that classic, like telling H two O move. Yeah, it's the H two O move. You're so right. I was gonna say more like I'm gonna tell my parents I'm staying at your house. You tell your parents you're staying at my house. But then one of our parents is gonna call, and then yeah. the whole thing is foiled. 
So many of these high school movies are built around the idea that the adults, like the real horror is that the adults don't know where the kids are. Or that the kids have somehow tricked their adults parental guardians. There are no guardians. parents in this movie. We see a mom like via waving once or twice. There is a great scene where the psychiatrist comes to pick her up at the house and then speeds away past mom. And there's just this sense of mom being like, what? Where's she going? And once you realize how serious the case is they're trying to solve, you're just like, holy shit, there should be more parents involved here. Yeah, so in the opening scene, we see Thora Birch like emerging from the forest. She looks haggard. She's very clearly like beaten. I mean, not beaten, but like she's she's bruised. She's starved. She's just not in a good place, and she, like, slowly crawls her way into the school where she finds a telephone, calls 911. And she passes a missing poster of her own face. Oh, fuck, I totally missed that. I was taking notes. This is the this is why I don't take notes. God damn it. I her started taking notes again. face. And it was a mistake. Calls 911 and just screams into the phone and drops to the floor, which is the coolest way to call 911. <laughs> At least in a movie. I mean, if you gotta call 911... Probably not a great scene. Maybe address and name and it's a landline. They can the nature it of out. your emergency <laughs> <laughs> screams. Oh God, send everyone! But as it comes out, there, uh, you know, she's the sole survivor of a weekend trip. We don't know wrong. she's the sole survivor. John. You keep saying that. We don't know, but we never see these other kids. We don't, which is really weird. There's it's a... almost like they didn't survive or something. The police. The police have a room set up, and behind them are photos of dead bodies, including Kira Knightley's face. Not true, though. Oh, they- Not everybody notices that. Go on, John. Give us the <laughs> illusion that they might be okay, because Thora Birch is meeting with a psychiatrist uh-huh. who's helping her recount what happened in the hole, because she's she's the only person that can that can give them the answers. And she- Because- with the twist. <laughs> what? No. So her her first story, as she recounts what happens in the hole, it was actually a pretty great weekend. Except for her friend Martin, who was supposed to pick them up, pick them up, who was supposed to open the whole door on the third day before the Easter weekend trip let out, never came. Yeah, so Martin is her friend who hacked the system. The parents think they're going to a field trip. The school thinks they're going home to their parents over Easter weekend. And they instead go to a bunker that's hidden in the forest that's attached. That's like a part of an escape tunnel for an old military base. Because yeah. it's, it's England. You know what's fucking hysterical? Is that the first note, one of the first notes I wrote down in my book was, Thora Birch is British? No. And, and then two steps later, oh, everyone's British. <laughs> We're in a British school. So I did a little thing for my own sake while watching this movie this time around was I wanted to guess all of the actors that aren't actually British who are playing British. I I guessed them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you looked it up afterward? Yeah. Thora Birch is from California, I think. Uh, Mike, who doesn't even put on a British accent. I'm sure he was supposed to be British and then he's like, I can't do it, guys. And they're like, you're American. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's a day one change. (laughs) And uh, I can't, I, you know, I didn't check if I'm going to do it right now. If um, the psychiatrist, oh, she might be. Her first name is Embeth. No, <laughs> she was born in Indiana. To British parents? That doesn't give you an accent, John. Oh, no. They moved to Trenton, New Jersey before returning to her parents' native country, which was probably England. All right, fine. This is like listening to a true crime podcast without any of the intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still looking at... But which actors are or are not British? She grew up in South Africa. 
Yeah, that was one of the British colonies. So did Freddie Mercury, right? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so they lock themselves in this bunker. Martin's supposed to... I don't know why he's got to lock the door. Yeah, I... That didn't make any damn sense know. to me. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, he's supposed to come back in three days, get them. They go back to the school around the exact same time that the, the school buses are coming back with everybody from the field trip, and none's the wiser. They just smell like a gross bunker. That's all. Yeah, and then in this story, everybody's pretty amicable. Nothing really exciting happens except for when Martin doesn't show up. I fucking love that, by the way, when they're interrogating. Interrogating is maybe not the right word, but they are questioning her and getting her side of the story. And she's like, don't you want to Don't you want to know what we did for three days? As, no, we don't care. We just skip to the part where you, st- you all start killing each other or dying of starvation. Yeah, and in kind of that first night after Martin hasn't shown up, they notice all these little, like, microphones or something. Almost that, like, Martin has tapped the bunker. Oh, boy. Because he loves Thora Birch, as per Thora Birch's story. That is true. That's what she said. Well, you know, why why are you so interested with this American guy when you got me, the computer nerd who knows where the bunker is? (laughs) I have all the bunkers. (laughs) Yeah, right? I'm lousy with bunker. How much bunker did he bring? Nothing. He didn't even bring food. Yeah. Yeah. How do you... You're, you're just going to go away for three days and not bring food? Yeah, he's not very bright. We've all done that camping trip. They're like, all we need is beer. Like, no, it never works. No? Yeah, well, you haven't done that camping no. trip? Okay. <laughs> I was trying to find a way to politely be like, no, but no. <laughs> oh, well. Do, do you think that this... This movie came out in 2001. Has a very mid-90s indie vibe to it. Or early 2000s, let's be real. Do you think it would have played better without the interrogation format? Like, oh, we soul survivor, I'm saying it. Um, and we, we got to figure out what happened to these uh, these other kids. So, Or would it have just played better if we went into the bunker and then followed through from there? That might have been fun, especially if we rewound like halfway through. And Which we do. We were watching it through Liz's perspective. I actually, and I know I've I've complained about the interrogation format before because I really don't like it. This is one of my one exceptions. It does it does do a pretty good job with it. Because this movie plays out like true crime. And I think that's why I really mm. actually like it is because all of the information is doled out as it would, would have been if you were following like a live true crime case. Sure. Because these kids are missing and then one girl stumbles out and then they find all the bodies and stuff. Like they didn't find all those dead bodies until Thor Birch came out and called 911. So like she's in the hospital in her like weird fugue state while they're pulling out these corpses and behind the scenes, which... Thora Birch's character Liz is being really protected from because she obviously holds a lot of information and they don't want to shock her into shutting down. In the way that they're trying to tell this story and because they kind of have this twist that they want to reveal at the end, they don't lay out that those three kids are dead. Yeah. And I know that, that you've assumed that they're dead. And you... Fucking the first time I saw it, I assumed they're dead. Like, you do why have... are you going to have 50 cops trying to, to fuck? oh, we got to get to the bottom of this if those kids are just starved and on IV drips? Yeah, no, and, and it does feel weird that, like, if they're alive, why aren't they interrogating them and why don't we see them and la la la. But them being dead, it's harder to string you along in her, like, story. Yeah, I, from a movie perspective, you want to know, you want to see where it, where it all went wrong, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and I really like Martin. Martin, once we actually meet the real Martin and not Liz's version of Martin, yeah. I kind of love him. Yeah, but like, he's, he's still he's the kinda... same person, but he's like, 
he's like a smart ass jackass and all these kids go to private schools they are all worse versions of themselves than the versions told in liz's story especially liz holy shit especially liz like once we start hearing from martin who they've arrested in the dominican republic yeah he was on vacation with his family yeah he's on vacation because there was no plot of him to come back he basically set liz up with this bunker gave her the key and they and then he went on his actual easter vacation yeah so what happened why were they trapped inside we don't know I'm sorry, you keep wanting to try and, like, not spoil everything about this. But you've already spoiled it. Despite the fact that that's how the podcast goes. (laughs) (laughs) I let you run your podcast episode your way, John. Look, I think it's it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about this movie. And it's not like a lot of people know the movie. So, you know, I'm sorry that for some people we're totally spoiling it. But at some point we kind of have to talk about it, right? Yeah. Are you done talking about Martin? Oh, I'm... uh, For now. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody everybody is an asshole. Like, real-life versions of them. Yeah. Mike is an asshole. Oh, they're all assholes. They're all assholes. What's funny is they... Sex-crazed assholes. They just kind of become different shades of assholes. Like, they they start as assholes, but then become nice people because we're in a fantasy. And then we we switch back, and it's like, oh, these assholes were were bigger assholes than we once thought. Yeah, and it's great when you see kind of what really played down with, like, the fantasy version that Liz told you originally, because all of the beats are there. They're just shown through this, like, rainbow filter. Mm. Like, when... They play like everybody has to be mad at Liz and everybody has to shout at Liz and Frankie's really sick. Like, and they're just pretending because they want to trick Martin into opening the door. Yeah, like that's after they discover all the microphones. They're mm-hmm. trying to, they, they assume that he's listening in and he's trying to punish them because Liz likes Mike, but Martin likes Liz. So we, we have to make him think that we're sick and we're about to die because then surely he'll open the door. Yeah, and then in the real life version... Frankie is actually really sick, and oh, they are yeah. actually all yelling at Liz. Yeah. Well, it's her fault. Like, in the in the real version of the story, it was her idea to go down there. She's the one who got it all set up with Martin's help. Wait, was there Martin's? Was Martin there to help? Well, like, he was the one that hooked them up with the bunker, but I don't think there was any um, in three days business, because in yeah. the real story, Frankie and Jeff start hooking up, and Mike doesn't like Liz, and Liz's plan is kind of foiled, and, uh... Well, fucking Mike also also tries to hook up with Liz with Jeff. Yeah, and they're which, super creepy. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, yeah, it's creepy, but also a threesome when there's four people in the room? Rude. Just <laughs> plain rude. Creepy and impolite. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Liz is like the devil in the fourth wheel in that scenario. And she, like, fucking bangs his head against the wall. And it's just like... Ooh, Liz, you're revealing you're crazy. And also, these guys are dirtbags. Um, yeah, I love that she still wants to be with him at that point. It's like, I don't know. She loves him. Love. Uh, but it, so in this real scenario, Mike is just like, well, fuck, I don't want to listen to you guys banging this whole time. And I'm yeah. I'm not sleeping with Liz. There's a full-out moment where <laughs> yeah. he's like, turn off the light. She's well, yeah, like, she's like, huh? you want to come sleep in my... And he's, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so he tries to leave early, and that's when they realize the door won't open. And we also then see Liz plopping a key in her boot. Yeah, she's she's the one that's locked them in. She literally holds the key to their freedom. And they ain't going anywhere. That is where I think this movie gets, like, so fucking great for me. Because it is... They do spend a lot of time with you with that knowledge, which is fun. Well, yeah, and that's atypical, but it's so fucking dark. And it's it's terrible to say, but it's the perfect true crime story. 
Oh, totally. Somebody and the the teen love angle, like it's just somebody is so obsessed with somebody, like a version of somebody. She doesn't even know him. They're not no. even friends. Not at all. Or maybe they are. I don't even know what's true anymore. But uh, yeah. so much so that her best friend is sick and dying. And the scene where Frankie is like throwing up in the toilet and she's talking about how she finally kissed Mike. Yeah. It's <laughs> so dark and twisted. There's absolutely no concern whatsoever. But what's what's really good about it is that, yeah, like they've they've kissed you know, they're getting desperate and scared and, like, they might hook up. And she says to him, she's, sorry, she says to Frankie, I think, I think it might happen tonight. Can you, can you hold out until tomorrow? I have a really strong feeling that we'll be saved tomorrow. Oh, another thing that's, like, mirrored in the fake version versus the real version is when she sees shadows of people outside and she thinks it's yes! Martin. She, that's where she's like, oh my God, I think it's Martin and he's watching us. But in the real world, there are people outside. Like, let's just assume she lost Maybe it's the key. people looking for them. It probably is people looking oh, for them. It's fucking so much darker because if anybody had a scene that, like, not only was she holding the key, but there was a chance of them being rescued. Yeah. And they could have called, they could have shouted, they could have banged on the hatch door. And she did nothing. Yeah. She eventually hooks up with Mike. That happens. And then before, even before... The morning comes, Frankie's already dead. And it's gross. It's dark. Like, it's a really great death scene. Yeah, she's she's anorexic. Uh, her character's anorexic in the movie, and you know, they've had no water, no food. Um, and she basically died of a heart embolism? Is that what they said? Yeah, I think she had a heart problem. Or yeah, the point is, she's been thrown up for days, and like, eventually she started throwing up blood, and that's, that's, that was the end of, that was the end of Frankie, unfortunately. But, it, and how the characters all act in that moment is just so fucking wonderful, because you have these three teenage assholes yeah. who are dealing with somebody that's died, and... Them dealing with all of those emotions. Jeff, who's who has a crush on her, who yeah. they were sleeping together. Mike, who is who's dealing with just being Mike, and Liz, <laughs> who's crazy and a murderer and complicit in her death, but is also delusional and her best friend. Yeah, There's, I think her the thing that pisses her off the most is that she can't even appreciate that she just slept with Mike. Like, oh, great, Frankie takes the... Not that there's a beat of that, but, like, I'm sure in the back of her mind, she's like, oh, great, Frankie fucking stole the stage from me. I didn't even get one day where I got to brag about sleeping with Mike. I mean, maybe. But I think she's mostly just like, I didn't realize it was, was going to be this serious. Like, I was just trying to do a thing. She's a fucking sociopath. She doesn't give a shit. One of my favorite moments, though, in that, that scene where they discover Frankie is totally just a throwaway line, but it's when Mike is, like, begging Jeff to stop touching her and stop holding her yeah and he's like she's dead man he's very scared like the, the thing is they're all gonna die and desperate that's, and dumb that's, and that's like, how they're all gonna die like ugh. they're all just looking at themselves in a few days from now yeah and like in in this real real to life version of them being stuck in the bunker like they're rationing food and water and we're watching it all get depleted and that's kind of how jeff ends up dying which is even darker than Frankie's death. Oh, fuck yeah. Because uh, it's it's gotten to a point where Liz can't handle it anymore. And, and every, she, well, everybody's getting delusional. Yes, absolutely. She's trying to come clean about it. She's trying to show Mike 
that she has the key and that they can leave. But the worst part about that is that no matter what, like when they go out, it's not like they can all be friends and survive. One of them's dead. There's no going back from that. Mm-hmm. And But before she can show him the key, we hear that Jeff has discovered a can of Coke. And Mike hears the of him opening it and freaks the fuck out. Runs over and bashes his head against the floor. His Her, best friend. Yeah, it's, I think it's just great. It's pretty dark. I like it. Oh well, yeah, it's good. It's dark <laughs> well, and as also, shit. Also, there's a, there's a second hole within the hole. There's just like this well almost, and they've been sitting around it in all of these different versions of the story. Most of them, it's almost like a, a campfire kind of scenario. Like they're yeah. all just sitting with their feet dangling in it. But when Jeff finally dies, it's his head on the edge of the hole, and all of his brain matter blood is like dripping down into the hole. I think it's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true greedy guts guilty pleasure for you. <laughs> it's just great. Because I, the thing is, I can see in your eyes where like there, there's passion, but as the words come out of your mouth, you're, you're like, oh no, like you're, you're concerned about what other people think of you talking about this movie because people are gonna see it and they're not gonna like it. No, it's not. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not fantastic, but it's fantastic to me. That's fine. That's how I feel about most of my like five star movies. Like I, I try and talk to people about them, and they're just like, oh yeah, I've seen that. It's, it's fine. <laughs> like, uh, I, but I do think Thor Birch as a sociopath in this movie is pretty fucking great she's real good her character goes through a lot of different things like the first version we see of thor birch she's like this shy almost nothing person yeah she's She's most thor birch characters she's just like a passive presence in all of these scenes it's like she's among all these popular kids so she she doesn't want to do anything like even breathe too loud yeah and so she's almost like a witness in most of it and then when we get to see, like, oh, real Thora Birch is cool and she smokes and drinks and stuff. And they're like, eh. But it's once <laughs> it's once she makes those crazy decisions, have like hiding the key and locking the door and seeing the shadows at the, the hatch and not letting people know. And when she's talking to Frankie when Frankie's dying, that's the fucking twisted shit. Like, that's the stuff. That's the reason a lot of us are into true crime is, like, that that sick inner psyche stuff and like what would make somebody do that and obsessive love is pretty high on the list of most frequent offenders it's not like she's some sort of mastermind she's not smart either no there's nothing smart about anything she does this wasn't a thousand percent in the plan from day one this this wasn't like a usual suspect scenario where like all of a sudden we're seeing how this played out like like cry wolf like that—that's what Cry Wolf tries to do. Like this was a big master plan, and it was just like, oh, I'm playing chess. You guys are playing checkers. Like this was just her analyzing opportunity and just doing the worst possible thing, letting the worst possible things happen because she knew eventually they would both get so desperate and lonely and scared that they'd sleep together. Well, and I think she was honestly just buying more time. Like in her own head, she could have been rationalizing like just one more day, just one more day. And then, oh, sure. and then like I'll sneak up and I'll just open the door and then it'll just be like, I finally got it open. Yeah. But like, not only does she have to let her friends starve and become dehydrated and just like go mad. It's happening to her too. That's fucked. That's so fucked. It is fucked. Yeah. It's just like, let's let's just all torture each other so I can get one small thing. And the thing, too, is that this person that she she's obsessed over, she doesn't even really know who he is. Because who he is down in the bunker when things are all fine and dandy, like when they're all partying down there, it's not a guy you'd like. 
Like, it's not a guy she likes. He's kind of scummy. <laughs> he's he's rude to her. He's rude to everyone. He's trying to sleep with Frankie, who Jeff is trying to sleep with. Yeah. And when he's trying to leave, he talks about hooking back up with his old girlfriend. And so, like, he doesn't want anything to do with Liz, but she still is in love with this, like, ideal version See, of him. See, that's, that's the thing. Like, it's not even, like, love. He doesn't mean anything to her. No, it's she's just, like, devoid she's fixated, of emotion. <laughs> fixated an obsession on him. And, yeah. and it's not even this real person. And when she is finally confessing to the psychiatrist, when the psychiatrist has stupidly brought her back down into the hole yeah. to do her big confession story, she talks about how it's almost better this way. Because he's died. Sure. Because he's this like construct he and he'll never always, get old yeah. and he'll never cheat on me and he'll never la la la, which is a weird thing to say for some guy that you've only like kissed and slept with once and it was out of like delirious desperation. It's kind of a serial killer thing to say though. But I mean, now he can be the person she loves because everything she projects on him is true. He's yeah. dead. He yeah, can't, exactly. He can't deny or deflect or be anything other than what's in her imagination. Yeah. So, like, ultimately, she kind of gets what she wants. Which is nuts. It's crazy. I kind of I kind of li- think it's interesting that they have to go back down to the hole for her to, like, tell her the whole story. Um, because part of it's, like, uh, returning to the scene of the crime, almost. And, like, she just wants to do it, so she kind of forces the psychiatrist to do it. But it, it, it doesn't really make sense to me why she has that big, long confession with the psychiatrist. Like, I know. She doesn't need to. Yeah, like, it's it's definitely there for us. You know, that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not, not, I'm not necessarily going to knock it for anything, because, like, whatever. Like, we need the movie to explain it to us at some point. And she's got to say it to say... She could have told it to Martin before she fucking killed Martin. <laughs> like, there's that. Because uh, Martin comes barreling into her house, like, asking her, what the fuck is going on? You're ruining my life. We, we cut away from that with no resolution, but the psychiatrist comes, we go to the hole, and that's where everything starts to, to unfold. And just as, you know, the she has confessed to all of this shit to the psychiatrist... Uh, the police show up and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here with Liz? This, you're, oh, you're, we're handing your psychiatrist badge. You're off the case kind of situation. You know, we found Martin and the fucking key was in his pocket. And he suicided himself. He suicided at Liz's property. <laughs> <laughs> and Liz is like, help me, the psychiatrist was scary. I just, I don't see the benefit of confessing to one person. No, and that's, it's, it's a little floofy there. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a little floofy when the psychiatrist is like, they're talking in her car, and she's like, I need to go back to the hole. And yeah. you're like, I guess Do we you? could final set piece in the hole. Yeah, like, might as well. Um, And I, I had this big revelation oh. at the end of the movie. Yeah. There's a huge-ass plot hole that I had never realized before. Okay. I think I just never thought about it, because I was like... Another one for the Thora Birch books. Yeah. So the the end of the film, it's going to be pinned on Martin. Mm-hmm. It's all Thora Birch's story is, becomes the new truth. Yeah. And then there's that like final showdown between the psychiatrist and Thora Birch with her like smiling I, I beat you eyes. Yeah. But there's also cuts when Thora Birch is telling the psychiatrist the truth of the autopsies of all of the three victims that died in the hole. And... They all know Jeff was murdered. So there needs to be some story corroboration as to what actually happened in the hole. Because whether or not Martin locked them in, Jeff died in the hole. Yeah, I don't think that's up for debate. I think the cops know that. They, they're they just trying to figure out, 
in what timeline really realistically they want to figure out who killed this one kid inside the hole and who's responsible for locking them in i think that's all i really care but i mean thor thor birch is not off the sure she is off the hook now sure she is all she has to not say is that i had the key with me i took the pocket knife i picked the lock uh, until i got So how did jeff die in the hole fucking mike killed him Everything about that story she can tell, except Mm. I had the key in my hand. That's true. Jeff found a can of Coke. Mike killed him over it. And then he was trying to kill me, too. And I was, I don't know, up at the top. Like, when I witnessed the murder, he tried coming after me. The ladder broke. I got trapped up there with the pocket knife and just picked the fucking lock until I was able to open the door. Mm. Because they do do even say, like, that poor girl must have been picking at that lock for days until it finally opened. First off, if that were the case, she would she would actually genuinely have to at least try for a long well, time. Well, yeah, there because there'd be no damage on the inside. There'd of the door. have to be evidence of her trying to do that. Yeah, exactly. Which, whatever. I mean, not hard to fake. It seems like she's got everything else figured out. But see, when you're delirious, everything is fucking hard to fake. Good point. Unless she went back, but and how- that's the real power of her evil. So either way, there, I, I think there are plot holes here. There are some unexplained plot holes because I, I just. We can't end with just, like, her beating the psychiatrist, and we only have two different story options. So if, if the second one remains a secret, then all we have is her, like, la-la-la Wonderland story. Yeah. So she's at, I think she's going to have to go back to that and be like, that's all I remember, and I don't know what happened down there. But all I know is that Martin was supposed to unlock the door on day three, and he didn't. Oh, poor girl. We better not bug her anymore and just let her live her life. <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen. I guess. People love... Myself included. People love a, a teenage girl who gets away with murder. Because, like, you know, when, when kids die in movies, you're, one of your first thoughts is probably, like, oh, they had their whole life ahead of them. And, and when an evil person, teenager, gets away with murder, like, oh, shit, they got their whole life ahead of them. Like, this is the kind of shit they're doing at 17. What are they going to be like when they're 35 and, like, on the verge of their first divorce? <laughs> That's that's a really interesting perspective. I don't think I've ever been like, oh my god, they have a whole track record of murders they can commit. That's that's what I thought about at the end of Tragedy Girls. Like, they're going off into the world, and it's just like, fuck, what kind of havoc are they gonna wreak? Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't... Wreak? Eh, whatever. Was there anything else in the hole you wanted to get at before we got into ratings? Um... I don't think so. I, I love it. I think it's a really great time capsule of like the early 2000s and the late 90s. It's got all of those like shitty cuts and like the It's got a lot of those. Um, I, I really like the unreliable, unreliable narrator. I don't think you see it a lot with like teen horror. So I think it's just really fun and definitely very true crimey vibe. Like once I thought that, I could not get it out of my head because oh, it yeah. does really play out like... We're trying to piece through the information to find the facts. Yeah. And the facts are, Thor Birch is one crazy bitch. <laughs> Interesting uh, to call it a time capsule, too, because those kids are essentially in their own time capsule. <gasps> oh, my God. For, <gasps> oh. like, Except we ten locked, whole days. Yeah, we locked the door and, like, do not open for ten days. <laughs> <laughs> the, the One of the creepiest things, and I don't think we touched on it, is, like, the psychological aspect of not only being running out of food and water, but being stuck down in a bunker with, like, the corpses of your friends. Oh, yeah. Like, there is, there is one pretty gnarly moment where Jeff's like, I keep thinking that I can smell her rotting. and it, like He's I, like, I'd rather pull my own face off than smell yeah. her rot. And realistically, that's only a few hours away. Yeah, And, you know, like, they don't even necessarily delve too much into the paranoia of them just becoming delusional and thinking that Martin is watching them. Like, that's all f- played for fun a little bit, but it could get real nasty and scary, like, uh, like the movie Bug. But, um... 
I mean, they didn't have that much time. Like, they, they, they essentially had to tell this movie two times and then analyze w- both of those movies, right? Like, we, we got the same story twice, mm-hmm. plus police procedural. A version of this story could have happened somewhere. I think it's what's oh, yeah. also weird. It's just like, I'm sure you could you could find a news article about, I mean, maybe it's not so devious, but uh, like a the misadventure of some teenagers yeah. getting, and to like actually experience like the the emotions of the time that they were in there. Because like, it's, it's easy to read kids stuck down, starved to death after 11 days, or there was an avalanche, 11 days. You're like, oh shit, scroll past. But actually like what that feels like and running out of food and running out of water and the feeling of being trapped and like, all of the the mood swings you go in through the relationships of the people you're trapped with. Oh, like, sorry. Can we also point out that Thora Birch tries to fucking like double suicide with Mike at some point? I, oh my god! We completely forgot where she's just like dealing with the ramifications of letting a friend die and like you know what? Maybe we'll be maybe great we'll if be we together just forever, romantically bled to death. Oh, yeah, I know. She's like so into it, yeah, she's and very he's into just it. like, no, don't do it. I love you. And then she's like. <laughs> you love me maybe that's all it was for just to get him to say that oh uh, it's just so dark and twisted yeah but yeah fucking some some heavy shit for 12 year old me to be watching yeah and yeah. here we are today still on the same dvd copy did you rent this movie like a thousand times before buying it i think i just bought it and oh. like it's it's terrible to say because like like i probably like brought it to like the shopping cart and i was like mom look a thor birch horror movie and she's like great this is fine for you to watch yeah there's like full male nudity there's female nudity there's like a lot of sexuality lots of drugs and some really bad teenagers you know like bad influences all around and then i grew up with it and here i am on my horror podcast just you know Clearly, it did not resonate with me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Has not stood the test of time. Um, so my rating is going to be hard because I do fondly enjoy this movie. Right with your heart. But I mean, it's not the best movie and I don't know if it's as watchable. Like I would love to watch Cry Wolf again right now. Mm. I don't know if I could say the same for the whole. The whole I'd like to forget again and then rewatch it. Sure. So like I think I would love to watch it again in five years. Yeah. So what? Four out of four? Uh I'm gonna <laughs> give it a three out of four. It's also a hard one for me too. Uh but I'm 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 just gonna shoot from the hip and give it a two point five out of four. Wow. I do like this movie. I think it's good. It's not it's 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 a good bad movie, but it's a good movie. Do you remember like how early on into our relationship I made you watch this movie? Probably the first calendar year. I feel like probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like here are two movies you need to watch in order to hang with me. Frogs and the whole. <laughs> weird yeah those were the two did i make you watch that apple orchard movie no oh i think i honestly think it's like robert downey jr but like before he's robert downey oh, jr where there's a psychic connection with the and killer. then there's an apple orchard i have seen that okay well Fuck, i used to make one like that in frogs i used to make everybody watch in high school because yeah like, i remember watching that with friends in your living room after school yeah i just i don't know why i had these weird initiations <laughs> yeah that's bizarre I mean, it's better than me trying to be like, you guys heard of the Coen brothers? Let's watch a serious man. I think I think all of us 17-year-old kids will really like it. Oh, man. I remember one time trying to like, just the weird movie marathons we would set up for ourselves. Let's watch all of Cleopatra. But like at four in the afternoon after we've stolen some Smirnoff Isis from my dad and like trying to watch all the, the Exorcist films and just like, it was 
just weird. There's nothing weird about watching all the Exorcist films. It is a little weird to to skip class and watch Cleopatra, <laughs> like the the four hour <laughs> epic. But uh, yeah, so this has been my greedy guts birthday episode. Happy birthday, Kim! Thank you, John. Um, it's only the fourth time I've said it. Thank you again. Yeah. <laughs> thank you one more time. Let us know what you thought of the whole and cry underscore wolf. You can tweet at us at NOFS podcast on Twitter. You can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Yeah, these these are both really good movies that I hope you revisit. There's a pretty good chance you're maybe seeing the whole for the first time, but it is a great time capsule of the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and, I, you know, I think I think if you're listening to this podcast, you will appreciate it. And of course, as always, Nightmare on Film Street is listener-supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to find out about all of the bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of the show. We're still reviewing movies that are playing at the drive-in because they're still safe to go to. So if you want to hear our thoughts on most on recent releases, head over there right now. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.